0: Hill at 246, four home runs, and ten driven in. You like the red shoes or the blue shoes, Bill? Like that. I like the blue shoes, better. <laughs> Way out of here. Oh, my gosh. On he to hit it roof. on the roof. He hit it onto the roof across the street. I have never seen that. On top of the building. Even he admired that shot. It's got to be the shoes, folks. It's got to be the shoes. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap. And Mike Donahue is is with us to remember some crap. Mike, how are you doing? Doing good, Andy. Good. As always, the Pointless Exercise Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Manscaped. Summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation performance package, which includes the Lawn Mower 4.0. Compliment your summer bod with a trim from the Leaders in Male Grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. And get ready for hot guy summer by by going to Manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code REMEMBER20. It's time to bundle up with the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Inside this package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies.
1: Andy, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to say the Crop Shaver is my personal favorite. I've yet to try the Weed Whacker, just waiting for those nose hairs to grow a little bit longer, but cheers to the Crop crop Shaver. Does the job, folks.
0: That's good. Uh, You know who could use the... uh, the nose trimmer that would be clue haywood because when he sneezes it looks like a party favor get 20% off and free shipping with the code remember20 at manscaped.com that's 20% off and free shipping with the code remember20 at manscaped.com they're on the interwebs escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with manscaped and as always it's time for us to spin the wheel of crap Yes sir and find out exactly which fine season that we are Before going to be discussing oh, before yes, you we a, you had a mea culpa
1: it. Yeah, mea culpa one that I felt worthy of uh, clarifying uh, and correcting for the record um you know if you've listened to last week's podcast and never listened again I don't know what to say to you other than uh for everyone else uh you may have heard me mention Uh, ryan sandberg Uh, we did 1996 uh the last week last uh, podcast and uh i had mentioned the autobiography that he had written with a with a local writer who i had identified as one-time cub and white Sox beat writer joey a joseph a aka joey reeves um and our Longtime friend T.J. Brown was quick to point out the obvious. It was a uh, pretty serious flaw because who else would uh, write uh, a ghostwriter? Not ghostwriter. His name was, you know, uh, listed as a co-author. But Sandberg's biography between his uh, first retirement and his first comeback in 1994 and 1996, respectively. But of course, The Wizard of Oz, our very own Barry Rosner. Um, Wizard of when- Oz. Wizard of Roz. I said Oz, obviously. The that Oz. was the. <laughs> so Schnaz would, the Wizard would of Roz. Um, and, you know, so it was entertaining. It would make sense. Roz would have been the perfect guy to do it. He was, you know, very close to Sandberg and whatnot, and say what you will. Uh, I just wanted to add, uh, I just wanted to just go back. It wouldn't really fit a particular year because Joey Reeves was the beat writer on and off in the early 90s. But uh, I got confused because he did write a book around the same time called. Uh, for more sort of Wrigley and Reeves, interestingly enough, did not fit the profile of a standard sports writer. He was sort of a uh, international court war correspondent, uh, and that's what the title would indicate. Uh, probably kind of comes off, even in his own writing, as a little bit condescending, kind of a prick, and had you know no use. Wait for a him. minute, Alan, a, a Alan Cubs Sal- writer that comes <laughs> off as a prick. Tribune, Tribune writer and Allen Sol- he he spared no punches on Alan Solomon, who was his counterpart and with whom he would trade places. Because, as you'll recall, in the early 90s, a period that which we have covered extensively on the show, Andy, and having done 91, 92, and 1994, um, the Tribune beat writers would swap uh, the the two teams in town. So Reeves did the Cubs and Sox, so would Solomon. Um, he kind of scorched the earth. He was not really part of that fraternity. He was sort of recruited to the Tribune by a name that might be familiar to some that will probably come up once or twice, Jim Dowdle, who you might recall was sort of like a successor to Stanton Cook, again, around the era that. That we've spent a lot of time, uh, um, you know, dwelling on the you know early, early to mid nineteen nineties of Tribune ownership. Uh, and Donald was the one that convinced Joey Reeves to uh, uh, t- take that beat over. Apparently, Donald had the decision, and he-
0: so now did um, Joey Reeves. I, I didn't catch the name of the other book that he wrote. Did he write uh, Rochelle? Rochelle from Milan to Minsk. No, that's I was on Seinfeld. I guess that's not... Now, I will admit that I I knew that Rosner wrote uh, that book second to none. Second to home? Whatever the hell it is. And I just assumed when you were so confidently talking about Joey A. Reeves that uh, he had also written a book on Sandberg. And I thought, well, maybe the uh, Rosner book, which I think I read, was actually... Um, I think I read, that's how good it was. I don't remember if I read it or not. Um, I wondered if there was a book written before the retirement, and then they just cashed in and wrote a book after the retirement. That's why I didn't jump in to, uh, to save your, uh, your hot take there with, uh, with Joey Reeves. All right, so let's uh, spin the wheel of crap and see what year we land on. Hmm.
1: We <laughs> just can't get out of the 2,000. The millennium. We cannot escape. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We gotta. We gotta do them all anyway, right?
0: Yep. So the 2,000 Cubs. What are your five things about the 2,000 Cubs?
1: Happy to do it. Cubs open the season other end of the world in Japan.
0: Oh, God, that's right. Uh, with
1: new leadoff hitter, Eric Young. Um, and the uh, they played a second game in, in in 2000, and the Game 2 starter, uh, Game 1, by the way, being John Lieber, I believe. I think Kerry was still hurt. It wasn't Kerry. I don't think Kerry made the trip to Japan. But Game 2, Kyle Farnsworth started Game 2. So those are the first two facts, first two games of the year. Um, I will tell you, it was Don Baylor's first season. Uh, We were a little bit, uh, you know, I think enthusiastic going in, um, but it got off to a bad start. They split in Japan, got swept by the Cardinals. uh, But uh, the season wasn't quite over right away like it has been in some of the seasons we've done, like in 94, 97. I was in attendance for Fact 4 when Cub great third baseman Shane Andrews hit a homer in the snow on opening day, uh, to tie a game. That was, let's just get this over with. God damn it. Fact number five, uh, Joliet, Jeff Reed, local natives, uh, game winning, game winning walk off hit, uh, in extra innings The the Braves, by the way, uh, that was the last pennant they had won the year before. They were defending national league champions, uh, and the Cubs took them and carry Leitenberg out on opening day. And, uh, um, that's the 2000 season. I've kind of stopped in April because there's just so much awesome stuff to uh, mm-hmm. to really go beyond yeah. and uh, look forward to the next, you know, hour ninety minutes or so, so we can do just that. But those are five facts right off the right off the bat.
0: Yeah. So the schedule was uh, not all that kind to, to the Cubs. So they opened in Japan on the 29th and 30th of March, and then they opened in state open stateside on April 3rd in St. Louis. Yep. Doesn't it seem like you should either have – they should have sent the Cubs and Mets home as a reward or had them play somebody on the West Coast so they didn't have to hump it all the way – or two-thirds of the way across the country?
1: And it was the Cardinals and every other team in the league that day around those two days besides the Cubs and Mets. It was their first game of the season, so they were – Right, I mean, for the Cubs, it was their third because they needed a few days off. You, you'll see a gap there. I, I, I could be wrong, maybe. Perhaps the Cardinals played uh, a series before while the Cubs recuperated. But you're right; they basically touched down and then had to go down to St. Louis.
0: And uh, I'm going to guess Cardinals- that it was that that was opening day. It was that was opening. The Cardinals were one and zero at the end of the game. So.
1: There you go. No, I know it was opening play. day in St. Louis. It was also Jim Edmonds' first game as a Cub. So, in some ways, Cardinal. it was the be Is a Cardinal. Sorry, making, you know, uh, male props in the first 10 minutes here. But yeah, first first year as a Cardinal, it sort of signaled kind of an ugly era, really, kind of taking foot down there in Dog Patch.
0: Yeah, the uh, the starter, the opening day starter for the Cardinals' a year was uh, Daryl Kyle. Moment of silence. Yes, yeah, so they had an interesting start. They started off one and zero. John Lieber beat Mike Hampton, who had been freed from his uh, term with the Rockies.
1: Is that was that was after his contract with the Rockies?
0: I think so. I feel uh, like, much. I feel like that would have been about the I'd- time that he. Uh, yes, he had just. No, it's pre. It was in. It was in between. He. Um, okay he pitched for the okay. uh, pitched for the Astros in 99 the Mets in 2000 then signed the big deal with the Rockies because of the school system. wasn't the 180 million dollars or whatever it was the school systems. that's why he did it. Sure sure he was yeah so he was traded in the, heading into his free agent year he him. he was traded to the Mets with operation shutdown Derek Bell. For Kyle Kessel, Roger Cedeno, and Octavio Dotel. I see.
1: I see. So he was the year before the mid-season '99. Hampton was
0: no at the end of the '99 season. He pitched okay. He pitched all of '99. They apparently had said, "You know what? Let's get something for him before he leaves as a free yeah. agent after 2000." And yeah. So we'll, we'll get uh, we'll get Roger Cedeno and, Octav- and Octavio Dotel.
1: You know, I don't know if we've uh, talked much. Uh, Mike Hampton's name has ever come up. And I'm looking at the stat line now, but we've done. Uh, I don't know if he came up in '97, but he sort of confirms my memory that in the late '90s he was a pretty standard presence, not in, this, in you know with a pretty tidy ERA. Uh, who was his Shane Reynolds? Was that the sort of show what, what were they have going on down there in Houston? Uh, um, the Reynolds or Hampton was tough, and he was a hitting pitcher too. Um, but yeah, he was coming off a twenty-two and four season league-leading. Uh, he finished second in the Cy Young, and and then so Houston d- dumped him before the season started. Imagine that. Yep.
0: And uh, and uh, he had a pretty good year with the a- Mets, fifteen and ten with a three one four, and then too disastrous for him. Seasons with the Rockies, he won fourteen games his first year, had a five point four one ERA, and then seven and fifteen with a six fifteen, and then he got (laughs) traded to the Marlins. Remember, the Marlins used to do this shit all the time, where they would trade for a guy with no intention of keeping him; they're just going to flip him. And he came, he came to the Marlins with none other than Juan Pierre from the Rockies, but then he got spun off to the Braves.
1: This is all in the off season, obviously, because there's no stat line for Florida.
0: Right, he never played for the Marlins. It was in the off season okay. between '02 and '03, and then he was okay. on the the mighty '03 Braves that uh, managed to lose the first playoff series to the Cubs. And
1: that's right. Was he their game two? Five years? Was that right? Would he have been the, the game two? The Russ Ortiz? No, right. That team didn't. They had Smoltz, but he Smoltz a reliever. They had Maddox in game three. Hampton may have been the game two starter, may have beaten Zambrano. He started um, two games. Yeah, so it would have been game two, I guess, in game five. They beat him probably then. or um,
0: well, busy, busy getting his ass kicked by Kerry Wood.
1: Yeah, I think that would have been it if you, if you were to uh, check that out. But all right, so um, kind of confirms it. He was, he was kind of a top pitcher. Obviously, the Mets that season, uh, as it turns out, would go on to the World Series uh for the first time since 1986 but uh on opening day at least you know we were a little excited right i mean who didn't wake up right you got i I can kind of remember where i was if i thought about it i was living on hamilton in chicago i know i you know didn't go to work uh but what, what would we have to do get up like three in the morning to watch opening day is that what we did
0: i feel like the game started at five i think I think they kind of started it, it late. It ended
1: around the time it was we had to go to work. I do remember that. I do remember okay. the game so two game they walked on a, a, They lost on a walk-off uh, grand slam with Benny Agbayani in game 2. And I think I remember listening to that I could be uh could be a little bit of a mixed memory, but um but but the for the opener for
0: sure. <laughs> uh you know maybe I had to go to work then. And a young a young Kosuke Fukudome was in attendance and tell everybody i'm going to play for the cubs one day this was fun uh let's see they started at 705 local time in tokyo Uh,
1: okay they're probably 15 hours ahead i feel like it was a four or five o'clock start central time i don't know my time zone difference from tokyo but um, all
0: right so seven o'clock in uh, tokyo is 5 a.m in chicago
1: so um, okay, five o'clock. That's what it was. Watch, uh, watch the Cubs. Then going to work a little bit late. I think I, I had. This was back when I worked for an independent company, and the owner was a diehard Cubs fan. And we went to many games, so it was pretty much I'm watching. I'm watching opening day like I do every year. Right, and, and the who, Cubs won. Yeah, they won. Sorry,
0: <laughs> and um, I was. I we got to think maybe perhaps it was some sort of uh, maybe it was four because of like daylight savings time or something. I don't know.
1: It could be fiddle around that time. Uh, by the way, just to uh, put a capstone on Mike Hampton, fun fact: losing pitcher in Game Five. So really, Mike Hampton, as much as he had a lot of success uh, over the Cubs, is the losing pitcher in the first in the game in which the Cubs had uh, clinched their first postseason series at that point in 95 years. So
0: that's 95. So I've, I gave him credit. I said it was only 85. I did the math wrong.
1: Wait, now, maybe it is eighty five. 08 to 03. 9, yeah, ninety. It's yeah, ninety
0: five. Ninety five. Um, now that Cub lineup in Tokyo to start the season was a juggernaut. I don't know how. You got to give credit <laughs> to Mike Hampton for keeping them to twelve well, hits.
1: I, I, I do know we had Eric Young at the top, right? In yes. his first performance, Eric as a Young. Cub.
0: They even updated the box score here to Eric Young Senior, just in case. <laughs> One of my favorite Cubs sleeves. Damon Buford batted second yep. and played center. Yep. Then he had Grace at first, Sammy in right, H-Rod, O. Henry was in left.
1: Still had O. Henry in 2000. Okay. And I, he, I strictly think of 98 with him.
0: And here's where the lineup gets good. Shane Andrews at third. Yep. Jose Nieves at shortstop. Good, a number, a he was 11. spelled late in the game by the great Jeff Houston. Vaguely remember Houston playing with the Cubs. Joe Girardi back with back the Back for the second time. And then John Lieber. The other, other pitchers in the game for the Cubs included Brian Williams. We've talked about him before. <laughs> not Bison Daley, and not the guy who is uh, hosts the, uh, or the disgraced former uh, NBC, NBC Nightly News. News guy who now has his own show on MSNBC. Yep. And one of the great trades in Cub history, Rick Aguilera
1: oh we'll save we'll save some of my venom uh, for Aguilera for 1999 uh, because we've done the 2001 season previously some of those names Brian Williams was was discussed um, uh, in, in during during that season and, and just to give it some perspective then which I like to do often um, we have not done 1999 or 1998 but we've done so many seasons within this period that I continuously call the the uh, mediocrity by design it's this tribute ownership that uh is really trying to maintain the status quo maybe get lucky uh this season m- much like 94 97 uh and even though we haven't discussed 99 was pretty much a dud it did cost the general manager his job even though he was you know had success in 98 ed lynch was gone i, w- I want to just point out too when ed lynch got fired i this was sort of pre internetty there was a, a feature in the Chicago Sun-Times that was written by Zane Smith, who I believe passed away recently. I could be wrong if so. Sorry for murdering you early, Zay. Uh, not Zane Smith, the ugly uh, left-hander for the Braves in the 80s, but zay Smith. But he did some sort of like a, sort of a fun features thing uh, called QT and would take letters in and stuff. And mine got published because I, a 28-year-old Michael Donahue, around the time that Ed Lynch had gotten fired, had made the astute observation that at the point of Ed Lynch's firing that there are more cubs on the 2000 roster at the moment lynch got fired that the long departed dallas green had originally drafted as the as a member of the cubs than ed lynch himself and then of course the player was joe girardi who wasn't continuously a cub but he was a dallas green draft choice who made his way back six years into the uh, ed lynch regime <laughs> The first part of the McPhail era, the third part of Tribune Two mediocrity by design. Um, six years into it, by midsummer, provided Kerry Wood was on his annual DL uh, stint, there was nobody that he had drafted when he got fired after six years, and that there was Joe Girardi from '84 Cubs. So Is that bad, just uh, just another disaster. <laughs>
0: Uh, what notable accomplishment? The only time it ever it ever happened to him in his career happened to Joe Girardi in the year two thousand.
1: He stood up before. Oh, I'm sorry, that happened in two thousand two. Two thousand two. <laughs> <Never mind.
0: laughs> yes, I know what you were going to say. We'll get to that. We get to two thousand <laughs>
1: two. We'll do two thousand two, which is an equally miserable season. There are still a lot of these. Much of these we've had to pile through. There's still. I, will, a I, I can years. tell
0: a horribly inappropriate uh, story about what I watching the game on TV. What I thought happened. It's great. (laughs) Say we're teasing that for 2002. Yep.
1: Yep. Tune in folks. Uh, What did Joe Girardi do in 2000? Yeah. Um, I didn't know we ever did this.
0: So that's. uh,
1: He couldn't have hit for the cycle because Mark Grace is still the last cub to do that. in 1993. Uh, I give up.
0: He was an (laughs) all-star.
1: A good old Ron Coomer, Steve Swisher, all-star was he? Is that how bad the Cubs were? They had to send Joe.
0: Well, they didn't because Sammy started. Um, oh. So there were at least, I'm trying to look here. Yeah, they, yeah there Sammy. were just the two of them, it looks like. Ryan Dempster was an all-star that year. For the Marlins. God forbid.
1: How the hell did Girardi make it? So, you know, I, I think I know why. Uh, the Braves were defending champions, and hasn't Bobby Cox always been famously known for often carrying three catchers? Is that, maybe that's what it was? Even then, I can't imagine Joe Girardi, Joe Girardi ever being uh, a top three catcher on merit, but good for Joe. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, 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 I'll tell you, it was a down year. Uh, it was a down year for Sammy. Um, he still put up prodigious numbers. He was still in that five year window where he hit like 300 homers in five seasons, right? But it's probably his worst year from 98 uh, through. Uh, Oh, 01, I guess, uh, but who really had a tough season, although I looked it up recently. The numbers didn't quite bear out entirely, but uh, Mark Race, kind of the bloom is off the rose. He had a little bit of a death rattle uh, mm-hmm. season in the following year in Arizona, but I went to a game. Here's here's some remember some crap, and all I can tell you, it was a Sunday in April against the Marlins when the Cubs are getting off to a struggling start. Uh, and In the Sunday game, I don't know if it was Braden Looper or if I'm... You know, misremembering the era. Uh, but Grace had come up with less than two outs and a runner on third in the ninth inning of a tie game. And I remember we were sitting very close to home. I was like, it's Grace. He's, all he's got to do is put the ball in play. And he struck out. And I just, you know, I know this is just anecdotal, but I just kind of had a feeling, right? At that point, and I always enjoyed Grace. I think he's a little bit overrated by Cubs fans in general, but enjoyed him. Really good player, above average hitter uh, and first baseman. Uh, but sitting there, that's that. that Sunday and a kind of a cool overcast April, and watching Grace not even put a ball in play, struck out swinging, which is not his thing, as we've discussed. Kind of, uh, you know, a little punch in the gut. Felt like the end.
0: So, so, so Girardi's first half when he was the all star, he hit 302, 374 on base, 415 slug. He had four homers, 21 RBIs, and 12 doubles. Wow. So I guess he made it on Merit the second half Not yes. quite yep. the same. Two forty five, two eighty eight, three eighteen. <laughs> three doubles. Two Homers and
1: nineteen. That reminds me of that seventy seven Cubs podcast that we did with Frank with Forklift. You know, how like the entire team just that's Joe Girardi in two thousand. Was that would that have been that probably Girardi's only all star appearance, right? Was. He was never
0: Yeah. He never made him with the that, Yankees. Um Well that's how you phrased the question.
1: Yeah um yeah you know this is peak yankees too at this era they're like you know you know, you wonder they had they're winning with guys like girardi and scott brocious <laughs> like i mean they had great players obviously it's a weird time and just it was really it, we're kind of a kind of a, we're in a bit of a desert right by the time the year 2000 rolls around since 1989 all we've had is a sort of fun but ephemeral 98 team uh we would be a little bit rewarded with a fun season the next year, and then, of course, you know things really kind of maybe started to change. But it was 2000, I think, uh, I think all time morale uh,
0: was at a low. So the the 2000 Cubs, they, they, won the, they won the first game in Japan, then they lost, and then they had a weird stretch where four out of five games were walk offs, one way or the other. Okay. Two, two walk off losses in Cincinnati. Then they won the home opener as a walk off against the Braves. That's the
1: game. That's the Homer in the snow. I was at yeah. Andrews tied it off with of Kerry Lightenberg in the ninth. Jeff Reed won it in the
0: eleventh or whatever. And then they had a walk off in the a- last game of that series. So they were five wow. and six and had set the town on fire. And then um, not so not long swept after that, the Bra- they were nine and six. Okay. So. so they swept. They swept the Braves, uh,
1: who were defending pennant. The Braves were sort of the Yankees of the NL. I mean, inferior, obviously. Uh, I don't remember actually even that sort of like bl- brief optimism. I think basically it already gone into. it Didn't go extra innings. They lost in the ninth, I guess, but uh, they couldn't. They couldn't get a split out of them. And you know, you scroll down and you see. More, more, L's. What would they end up losing? I know it was over ninety. Shit, they lost ninety-seven games. So they're, they statistically rank up there as one of the worst ever. And honestly, I have a, I have like this image in my head of tuning into a game in August, right? You know those games I'm talking about, Andy, where you know the season's over, you don't care, and you're just like in the house and you just turn a game on. It was like a Saturday afternoon in uh, San Francisco and just watching the, the sweated, bloated Ruben Covedo just like struggling through uh, an inning at uh, the brand new Pac Bell Park just looking at the image i i know it happened in 2000 um i don't know it was it was I, I think Oscar Acosta may have been their pitching coach i think he was i think that's what i remember so costa just fucking yelling at him on the <laughs> Ruben Cavallo folks <laughs> i wonder how many starts he got
0: on that team so they uh they went seventeen and nine in July, what yeah, and then rode that wave to uh, nine and twenty in August and six and twenty two in September but uh, <laughs> wow, yeah, for one month they were relatively competent do you
1: uh do you remember having any strong opinion one way or the other when the Cubs hired Don Baylor
0: uh
1: Cause that's one thing I didn't mention about the context. I said it. I did. I, All I talked about was that, yeah, mostly I said the one playoff appearance in 11 years at this point, but they were coming off that 99 season, which was the other season besides 1997 when Jim Riggleman had a stretch of 20 and 50, I believe. Uh, and they t- cratered, and Riggleman finally lost his job after becoming the longest-serving manager in our lifetime. And I remember wanting Baylor. I remember wanting him. Uh, I just it felt like they needed that culture. I know everyone kind of remembers this more in the context of Dusty. It was kind of similar. I it was excited. As, as, what I remember, and I know this happened, and you probably can't verify it, But the Angels, the California Angels, I have no idea in hell who their manager was in 1999. Just that after that season, they would have traded Jim Edmonds for Adam Kennedy and whatnot. And maybe the previously mentioned uh, Kent Bottenfield. But the Angels were in the running for Baylor. And Mike Sosha. And I just remember, oh please, please, we can't let them get Baylor. Can't let them get Baylor. <laughs> and we got Baylor, so it was a win for the Cubs. And the Angels had to settle for Sosha, who, you know, I know they only won one World Series, but they went there and he was largely successful for like twenty years. Cubs were like five managers in. Sosha was still in LA. Um but Baylor kinda like he felt like he was like a no bullshit at the interview at the press conference, like, uh, you know, we're not gonna use excuses, blah, 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 none of this bullshit about like day games or whatever. And was disappointing about Baylor by the time he was gone. This was his first season, it was a dud of a season, and then he was decent, you know, the next year. Was it didn't take him long to pretty much sort of stand down from a lot of the proclamations he made about you know not making excuses and by the time he was you know leaving town it was like you know complaining about day games and you know just every little thing that you know again to dusty kind of picked us up again and did the same thing but uh i was i think we were largely optimistic he was a big hire cubs went they went in big on baylor he was yeah. a hot prospect he had led the the rockies to the their first ever playoff appearance in 95 and
0: uh, it was a get, believe it or not. So the 99 Angels were managed by two men, one of whom won the uh, won a pennant in 2015, and one of them won a uh, World Series in 2016.
1: Terry Collins? Yep. And Joe Madden? No. Yep. Not at Terry all.
0: Collins and Joe Madden were the two managers of the 1999 Anaheim Angels. That's crazy. I, never, I knew Madden had... Ma- uh, Madden went 19 and 10. They probably should have kept him. I
1: knew he was affiliated with the Angels. Did, so he was an interim. Collins got fired, and they brought in Madden, I assume, right? Yeah. Collins, Joe
0: managed the last 29 games of the season. He
1: went 19 and 10.
0: Yep.
1: And then didn't manage again until, uh, like, like well, he took the, the Rays to the series in 08. So he didn't have to wait that long.
0: And, I mean, uh, it certainly Angels, worked for the Angels. They hired Sosha and Matt Joe was yeah. the bench coach, and they won a World Series. So Joe hung around. Interesting.
1: That's fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, who managed that? Oh, I've heard of that guy. Well, they managed against each other for the pennant in 2015.
0: They did. Coincidentally.
1: See the things we discover?
0: Yeah, it when we took uh, Joe seven years to get his first crack at the 06 Tampa Bay Devil Rays. And he took him to the were Not even the Rays yet. Yeah, they were the Devil Rays.
1: They're still the Devil Rays.
0: Christians be galled. Yeah. Well, we'll get to well, that. that's the only time we'll ever talk about Joe on this podcast because uh, we yes. don't, we don't go far enough to get to the. That's right, Joe Madden. Cubs.
1: This is a dis- this is a distinctly non Theo Epstein era Cubs podcast. In case you've uh, just stumbled in, kids, and don't know the conceit, it's a little bit of Wrigley, a little bit of
0: Ricketts, a lot of Tribune. So the Don Baylor Cubs of. Uh, Carried on another tradition of that era, where they were okay at home, thirty-eight and forty-three, and a disaster on the road, twenty-seven and
1: fifty-four. Of course, the one team accepted, mystifying nineteen ninety-four Cubs who were above five hundred on the road. But yeah, well, you lose ninety-seven everywhere, I guess. They
0: played the Cardinals thirteen times. How many times do you think they beat them?
1: I can't believe they only played them 13. Did they beat them four more than three times?
0: They did not. It was They were 3-10. Oh, man. Against the Cardinals. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, so the that Card- must have been the uh, – those were the balanced schedule days?
1: Yeah, 13 seems strange. Yeah, I never – you know, once – for me, once, you know, it is what it is, but when they went to the, uh, the, the, real, the realignment and the wild card first in 94, 95, until that point, it was so easy to know what the schedule was every year. It was 18, teams, 18 games against teams in your own division, nine and nine, and then it was against the teams in the other division, which was just two road trips a year. And then, you know, it's yeah. all it's all out of whack now, so don't ask me.
0: Yeah, so it looks like you, you played everybody in your division 13 times, and then you played the teams in the other National League divisions nine times. And now it's okay. 19 and six, or seven sometimes. Um, so that's okay. they shifted some of those games over, and then they must have played more played more interleague games, too, it looks like.
1: They played more interleague games in 2000? Is that right? Like, from when they started? They started League in not. 97. They played the
0: White Sox six times. Well, they had two, thanks to Uncle Jerry. They played... No, it's the same. They played Detroit three times.
1: Kansas City.
0: I see Kansas City. Yeah, three times. Okay,
1: so Took I don't know... Two or where- three. Oh. I I see a name that will take that will help me remember some crap from two thousand. I know it happened. Shit, I might have the scorecard too, because I saw a name on there that uh, I think we'd all like to take a minute to remember. His name, interestingly enough, did come up uh, on a previous episode. I couldn't tell you which one. Um, Scott Downs. <laughs> you recall? I don't know. He ended up having like a. It, he kind of had a little bit of a serviceable career, like several years after he left the Cubs. I don't know um but my my scott downs memory is he didn't really do a whole lot for the cubs but i went to a game in 2000 i went with my buddy chris um you know i was going about i was living down in the city i was probably going about 25 games a year uh it wasn't sitting in my seats we just picked up tickets the day of the game and as will happen at a ballpark like Wrigley field uh you might end up in a seat directly behind a fucking post and uh hmm. I didn't feel like complaining. I didn't care. I went to a lot of games anyway. I don't know what we paid for the tickets, but the funny thing about my memory of this game, uh, it was against the Tigers. It was a Friday interleague game against the Tigers. So, uh, And Scott Downs, I think, threw a shutout. It was in the, in the summer. It was June. It was almost around this time of year. And But from my seat, um, the post was not right in front of me. It was a couple rows. So I could see, you know, I could see most of the field, but what I couldn't see was the pitcher's mound. So, yeah, that's that's all. So, so I just sort of like this is how I admired Scott Downs' performance that day. I just sat back and just stared at the post like it was a <laughs> pitching machine and just waited for balls to fire out of them towards the batter. And uh, and after after a well, while, he did not throw a shutout. He went seven and two thirds. I uh, found the uh, the scorecard. Uh, seven hits, no earned runs. Uh starting pitcher for uh the Tigers that day, interestingly enough, Hideo Nomo. Too bad Harry Carey was gone, so he couldn't transpose yep. that into Hideo no, no, Homo. Yeah.
0: Um, I always thought anyways. that uh Harry avoiding uh Hideo Nomo saved the, the his Japanese saved his job. <laughs> and uh, Ron Santo never having to say Kike Hernandez also probably <laughs> saved his job. So, yeah. how many times do you think the Cubs traded Scott Downs?
1: Oh, he came back. Yeah, totally forgot about that. He Help me remember that crap. Did he come back on a useful team or no?
0: So he got traded. The Cubs, the '98 Cubs, you know, pumping, pumping for greatness, traded, made a trade for a player to be named later and cash to the Twins to bring back Mike Morgan. Oh, and that man. player ended up being Scott Downs. So then, but then the next year, needing a closer, they traded Rick or they traded Kyle Loesch and Jason Ryan to the Twins for Rick Aguilera and Scott Downs. And then a year after that, at the trade deadline, they traded Downs to the Expos for Rondell White. Rondell White. I knew that. I remember that. All right. So actually, that would have been.
1: the second so in two thousand it was his second ten- go around with the
0: Cubs, right? Yes. Or th- not th- he didn't have a third though. That, but he, he did sort of Oh who knows wow. with this with the pitch lab. They may just bring him back. He pitched in twenty fifteen. He's only been gone for six years. So they may say, well, Hey Scott, you mean? got you got anything left in you? You're left handed, you yeah. can pitch till you're fifty. And he's <laughs> only forty five. He's got five years left in him. <sighs>
1: So, wait, what was the the 98? They traded him to 98. To get uh, Mike Morgan. Which, you know, we could write a book. It's not even on shitty pitchers. They're like great pitchers that come back to the Cubs, like Fergie, like Rick Rushall, like Greg Maddox, like John Lieber. But then there's this whole tier of mid-range pitchers that were oh, maybe borderline useful that still came back. And like Mike Morgan and Steve Traxel, Uh those are the only two, but I'm confident there are more. Um, just way too many pitchers to keep track of. I can't believe – Morgan. They brought Morgan back, but so yeah, I saw what was probably Scott Downs' okay. finest performance as a cub in two thousand I didn't though. I can't say that I was in the park for Scott Downs' finest performance as a cub in two
0: thousand. I just didn't see him do it because yeah. I was watching balls shoot out from a bean. So he didn't pitch well for the Expos, but then he, he landed on the uh, Blue Jays and they turned him into a reliever. And he had he had it was he's like any reliever. He had good years and bad years, but he was. He led the league in appearances in 07. He had a 2.17 ERA. He had a 178 ERA in 66 innings in 08. Um, Even as late as 2013, he spent half the season with the Angels and had a 184 ERA in 43 games. Wow. So he he turned out pretty good. And he uh, pitched for the 2014 White Sox, and he was terrible. 38 games, 608 ERA. Perfect.
1: He pulled a Jaime Navarro. I love it.
0: So, that boy, guy that's what we like to see. If well, you, if you, you go to the White Sox, suck. Yes,
1: then you'll you'll be endeared, you know, even if perhaps you didn't do uh, well.
0: or you'll... So, one of my all-time favorite Cub pitchers uh, pitched on the 2000 Cubs.
1: Yeah, we already mentioned Ruben Cavado
0: Oh, it's, this guy's even better. And I know you may not even remember him. Uh do you remember Daniel Garabai? <laughs> Yeah, vaguely? I,
1: I I remember him like throwing a a a, a like it looked like a like a, a ball sock, uh just throwing it up like an E-fist in the ball going 800 yards in an early season A yeah. that's all
0: 27 year old rookie left-handed reliever
1: out of who, the Mexican league or something
0: who Baylor decided that's the guy we need and he was terrible <laughs> yes out of the Mexican league um where i'm sure he was really good uh let's see. <laughs> Um he had pitched the year before for the Mexico City Tigers. Uh, two and f- No, he didn't even pitch well for the Mexico City Tigers. He was two and five with a five oh six ERA. That was good. And, and, Jim, and the next year he Jim, was pitching for the Cubs. And Jim Henry's on the phone. Oh Neri! Uh, yeah, I don't know if he I don't know where he pitched. Because he didn't pitch, if he if he'd have been in like Japan or Korea, his numbers would be here. He pitched in '94 uh, in the Texas League in San Antonio, and then not again until Mexico City in '99. He made another comeback in 2005 in the Mexican League, pitching for Angelopolis. And he pitched. He had one appearance, and his ERA was infinity. So that. Any other teams here. with any any other appearances with any other major league team?
1: No, just the Cubs. It's incredible. It's because I remember him vividly, even though I
0: only can think of like one home run he gave up. Yeah, I just remember thinking this is a bad sign that this guy made five foot eight, hundred fifty four pounds. I knew it was a bad sign that he made the team, and it proved to be right.
1: And by the way, you did mention Shane Andrews, but you didn't uh, mention the other piece of the brainchild, Edlidge's brainchild of the left-right-hand uh, platoon at third base. That was to replace what he, uh, you know, um, had when Gary Gaetti finally turned to dust and, and Cole Leniak just proved oh, in, yes. his, in his two months after being traded for Rod Beck that he was not going to be the answer.
0: Former uh, former Red Sox uh Top prospect Cole Lineag. Red, right, Red Sox, right. Yeah. But this guy was a yeah. One Shane of the, one of the guys that Peter Gammons would unintentionally tout. Black Matt they would tell Black- him, and then people are like, "Ooh, this guy's gonna be good." It's like, well, no.
1: You mentioned that in uh, in connection with Matt Merton when we talked about the 2005 Cubs, that he was a little bit inflated thanks to Gammon. No, this player was was actually Shane Andrews' platoon buddy at third, the solution, as it were, um, three years before Aramis Ramirez finally came to town to put an end to all this nonsense at the hot corner. Uh, Not a Red Sox prospect, but one time a red prospect. But he was the left-handed side of that. Um, you might not. I mean, he didn't really have much of a career, but he was he was touted briefly, I think.
0: Yeah, see, so yeah, Lineak. I don't know when Gammons would have bragged about him. He hit uh, 17 homers and 59 RBIs in Pawtucket in '98. That's not that great.
1: Um, well, and the Cubs traded back for him in '99 at the deadline. And he played for the '99 Cubs. He hit
0: 241. Well,
1: terribly i know that's what i like to remember the last two months of that season are seared in, seared in my brain Cold lineac little number 12. but you haven't mentioned the red oh, prospect shane anderson what the red prospect um, that was one time red prospect actually was their third baseman on opening day against the cubs in 95 which i just recall but uh you'd probably remember we willie green oh yes yeah that, w- that was our that was our uh, answer at third base. Once uh, Coliniac, once we decided that uh, Liniac's sixty game tryout wasn't gonna
0: continue. Willie Green, two hundred one, two eighty nine, three sixty five for the two thousand. <laughs> what, what was Andrew's? What did he finish at? I'm
1: trying to pull two twenty nine, three twenty nine, four
0: seventy four. So he was much better in every way.
1: More like the cold corner. Am I right? Yep. They had no. They had nothing on on, uh, on the horizon. They brought in Bill Miller after the season. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they were saved by Mark Bellhorn. Who knows? You know, it was it was just an extension of that period of time. Our third base was just a giant vortex of of suck.
0: What? The Cubs didn't have anything in third. Like, that, that's not possible. In two thousand, they tried all kinds of reunions. Dave Martinez came back. He did. Was uh was there it was
1: Brant was Dave Martinez? I think they got him for Brant Brown that year. They That's, finally traded Brown.
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
1: Um another Cub who came back when it was safe. <laughs> I think. To do uh, so. Well, wow, good for Dave playing. Another Dallas Green Pick. Still playing for the, the comes had two Dallas Green Picks that played on the two thousand team. Um, I know Kerry Wood. Oh, we gotta talk about a Kerry Wood game. Um I, I have I have a pre- pretty measured take on Kerry Wood, but I will not ever doubt some of the absolute highs that he brought. And we this is probably worth it to take a deep dive. I would refer you to like the first Tuesday in May against the Astros, and it happened to be opening night at Wrigley Field, and it was Kerry Wood's return after having won Rookie of the Year and blowing out his arm. Did he not? Did he blow out the following spring? Is that how? Yes. Like, care, careless the Cubs were. Kerry <laughs> Wood in 98, who I'm not blaming them for hurting them like I might more easily for prior, because Kerry Wood is used and abused going back to probably travel ball. Certainly was in high school. Uh, his arm was a time bomb. Um, and the Cubs wrote him in 98, and he was up to the challenge uh, until his arm blew out, and they just decided let's give him a month and let him start in a long shot playoff game, in which he valiantly battled former Cub Greg Maddox and then wouldn't pitch again for the Cubs until this Tuesday or Wednesday in May. Um, and it was in 2000. Kerry Wood missed the entire 1999 season. So as miserable as the 2000 season was, I will say there was this moment when Kerry Wood, on opening night, it was weird that opening night was in May, but the schedule just could, probably because they started off in Japan and then went on the road, that the Cubs didn't really have the opportunity to have an opening night until May, and it happened to be an unseasonably warm Night. I was I was in the ballpark, so I remember it. Uh, if you look up the details, I'm sure you'll find it. Um, I don't know if you're looking at that game, yep. Andy. I am. And I can tell you a couple things, but I'll let you go through because I know what Kerry did, not just on the mound, but at the, at
0: the plate. Well, there were three Cubs who hit home runs in that game, and I would say that Kerry was the uh, least unlikely of the three. <laughs> Kerry Wood, Willie Green, and Joe Girardi all homered off of Jose Lima. Uh Carey hit his in the second inning, a two-run shot. Willie hit a two-run shot in the fifth, and Girardi hit a two-run homer later in the fifth. Carey's was incredibly memorable. Um, did it get, was, I didn't have maybe even given them the lead. Uh, it was, but It might have. It was part of a four-run second. Yeah. Um, no,
1: it looks like it, it looks like it didn't. Willie Green, our guy, yeah, drove in a row with a double. Well, it was the Willie Green, Joe girardi Curry Wood game, really. Yeah. And girardi and RBI ground out. So Wood's Dong made it four love, but uh they're on their way. One of the one of the things anecdotal, you can find out where he struck out Bagwell, but he struck out Bagwell on a three-two pitch with runners on early on where it mattered. And you probably know where I'm going with this, because Wood managed to do this a lot of times where he would just absolutely fucking freeze a hitter. Uh, with his curveball he did it all the time in 98 probably part of the reason his, his arm maybe blew off i don't know uh but i just remember uh bagwell who was in his prime up in a big spot woods first game you know it was very tense in the park and he hung that curveball and uh and bagwell was froze struck out 10 in the
0: inning yep, i he believe did, it was the top of the fifth um, there you go runners the second and third two outs he struck out bagwell
1: looking beautiful beautiful There might be video of that who knows I know we generally find some worthwhile uh, footage of something online after we talk about it. It would be fun if there was uh, uh, evidence of Kerry Woods' comeback. It was, you know, again, we're in an oasis, man. We have had one sort of Cinderella-ish playoff team uh, since 1989. We're, we're, we're trying to hang our head on something. Certainly Kerry Wood, who was front and center of that one playoff team as a rookie, uh, was nothing but feel good around this time and that
0: night. Yeah, that's so, uh, way. so Wood went six, only gave up three hits. He walked four, only struck out four, gave up a Homer, but more, uh, more incredible. Brian Williams got the save because he pitched the last three innings and lowered his ERA on the season to 10.29. Wow.
1: Oh. <laughs> well, a month in, you kind of need some more time. Got a save in an 11-1 game, right? I think that, that's the final that yep. I was. I just espied. Well, well,
0: there you go. What did he get? Yeah, stuff? Brian Williams got the area down to uh, nine point six two at the end of the season. Way to go, Brian. Yeah,
1: and, you know what? Did what did Homer at least two times as a rookie, maybe even three? I know he homered off a Tom Coda game. I was at. He hit one uh, against Philadelphia on a Saturday night. I think. So you know he had a he was no Carlos Zambrano. But, uh, you no, who is, you
0: know, who is really well? Show him Sobron- uh, the only only thing, He didn't play Carlos no was. outfield. Well, that's true. He could have at least didn't ask and, him to. I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I love me
1: some 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 Carlos, but, uh, yeah, so yeah, I don't know how, uh, you know, Wood would had an interesting career, and uh, that was that was that was a moment. And he was not worth on a team worth
0: really uh, losing too much or giving too much energy for. Yeah, Kerry homered seven times in the big leagues, um, and obviously because he turned into a full time reliever in 2007, he would have he would have probably him batting ha- basically. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: He would have he would have had a he would have had a dozen or so. Yeah,
0: that and the fact that he even when he did start, he missed so many games. Uh, right, I, think he I didn't get it up, a lot of at bats. Well, and
1: I think I brought it up before. It would actually in two thousand two, which is a miserable season for the Cubs, was sort of. I remember they were, they were considering it a success. If I, I might be a little bit off, but I'm pretty sure that O2 was the first year that he went from opening day to the end of the season. You know, not uh, not missing a start. Uh, eight. I don't know, and it was his fifth season, and I think he may
0: have done it again in '03, and that was it. Never, never did it again. And yeah, then, he made 28 starts in 01 33 in '02, and yeah. 32 in '03, and then
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, he and then never, he only never. after so he makes makes 32 starts in 2003, and in 2004 and 2005 combined, he makes 32 starts. Got it. So that's, got it. That's not good. Because he did some relief, oh. he was a part-time reliever in 05. He only pitched in four games, all starts in 06. and after that, he was strictly a reliever.
1: Got it. Um, scrolling through, there was one other game that's kind of the, the flip of the Kerry Wood game, and because we remember this crap, uh, I think we have to uh, we have to remember it. Ah, uh, the Kerry Wood game, by the way, was I think I said it was the first Tuesday in May. It was uh, May fourth, or I'm sorry, May second. Uh but the the other game that um, for all the wrong reasons was wait was it against, against? no it wasn't it. Do you remember an Expos game? I know it was in 2000, and I referenced it this year because there's a Cubs game that was almost headed towards this direction. It was a Sunday game uh, in Montreal. Yep, I found it, May fourteenth, and um, the final score: the Cubs would lose this game, sixteen to fifteen. And I don't know if you remember this game. I, I, I'm trying. I remember it was kind of like almost like that Andre Dawson Pittsburgh game from nineteen ninety one, where the Cubs just kept giving it back. You know, the, the Cubs basically they had a three two lead, a six two lead. Uh, after two and a half, six four lead, seven, four lead after three and a half. Montreal scores five. So now the Cubs are losing nine to seven. They tie it in the sixth, nine to nine. They score two in the seventh, eleven to nine. Or they have a four yeah eleven to nine. The Expo score four in the bottom of the eighth to take a two-run lead. The Cubs score four in the top of the ninth <laughs> to take a two-run lead. And the Expo is walking off, I believe with Rondell White, future Cub, uh, hitting a uh, just a single off of Rick Aguilera in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, just one of those painful losses that uh, you know. Just a shitty game for a shitty team. That kind of st- just a stupid, just a stupid game to uh, to lose. Interestingly, I see too that Hideki Aramu started against uh, against the Cubs.
0: So actually, um, uh, Rondell tied the game. He had a two-run shot in the bottom of the ninth. Mike Mordecai okay. won the game with a base hit.
1: Who would hurt us in '03? Yes. Part of the whole events of the eighth inning. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm going to save my Rick Aguilera hatred for 1999. But let me just say that I accused Rick Aguilera of committing the same type of a crime that we uh, sort of accused Fred McGriff of, as far as uh, his willingness to, you know, jump behind the wheel of a possibly good team and do his part. So I'll leave it at that.
0: Lost in the tragic collapse of the uh, of you know blowing the lead. So here's Henry Rodriguez in the game. Henry was four for six with seven RBIs. <laughs> he hit two home runs. He had 10 total bases. In his old ballpark, yeah. former Expo at this point. Sammy was uh, five for six with five RBIs. And I don't think he homered, which is wow. rare for a okay. big game. He had a double and four singles. Um Let's see. Willie Green had two hits. Eric Young was four for five. That guy. Okay. But now you get looked down at the pitching. and uh, Wow. The great Ismail Valdez, uh, still spelling oh. his name with a Z and not an S. Um, three and two thirds, seven hits, <laughs> nine earned runs. Ty Van Poppel did what Ty Van Poppel always did for the Cubs. Two and, two and a third. Hitless, hey, scoreless yeah, innings. He did he walk was, three, but he was pretty he good was,
1: No, he, I thought you were going to besmirch Todd Van no, only. I think was the only team the he Cubs. was good for was the Cubs. I think you confirmed that in a previous uh, episode, absolutely.
0: Then we, got, then we got an inning out of Brian Williams, a third of an inning out of the Run Fairy, Felix Heredia.
1: Yeah. Two-thirds yeah. out
0: from the Farns, and then uh, Aguilar came in to polish it off.
1: I mentioned this on a podcast before. I'll just quickly mention it again. Opening day 2000, Shane Andrews, Homer in the snow was the time a drinking since 10 a.m. Huey uh, corralled uh, the late Tim Weigel, who at that time was Channel yeah. 2 News. And Weigel recorded an interview with me where I just ranted about Matt Karchner and whatnot. And um, unfortunately, I, I guess the producers did not deem that uh, worthy of putting on. ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Uh, I wonder why. Do you think maybe uh, they just
0: pretended to record it? They just pointed the camera at it and uh, never hit any buttons.
1: He, he had a crowd, and as I walked by, I shouted something, and he turned around, and then he kind of grabbed. I don't remember what I said. Something about Karchner. I was like mad. They were losing. Who who knows? Who cares? Um, but yeah, it was it was. Uh, uh, I thought it was going to be my moment of glory, but uh, apparently, I didn't make it on the ten o'clock news.
0: Yeah, so the the two thousand Cubs had Ty Van Poppel, who had a good year, uh, three seventy five ERA in fifty one games. Um, not okay. as good as another year he had with the Cubs, but they also got an inexplicably good season out of Tim Worrell. They yeah, did. They did two forty seven ERA. They picked
1: up Worrell off the tra of the of the off the uh, the, uh, the strip. I will say, I feel like there was a time where the Cubs were sort of like vaguely, but not legitimately alive was there a point was that they ever get look at this they got the lead down to like nine and a half games oh yeah they were right in it <laughs> in early there was a game they lost in san diego i remember it was a hard it's not like the ryan klesko jeff facero that was a legitimate contender that season where i think like phil norton who was terrible got the start but managed to survive a rocky five and they almost stole the game uh it was like a day game in san diego um and uh, that's it. That's all I'm going to lend to it. But we're always good. And actually, they, they signed him off the scrap heap, and then we able to flip him after the season uh, for Bill Miller. You know, who was, was actually, great. had he not shredded his knee in Bush Stadium, was uh, about to be a useful, uh, uh, a useful. Uh, you know, everyday player form. Uh, you mentioned Ismael Valdez, and I found a game that I was at, and I want to point this out because it was pointed out as being historically significant when it happened. Ismael Valdez. If you uh, if you look if you look at this game on June seventeenth, two thousand, um, the Cubs won one to nothing. Okay, it's another Expos game. It was a game at Wrigley Field. It was a Saturday afternoon. It's almost twenty one years ago today. They won one to nothing, and I don't know if, if you've bothered to pull this game up, uh, Andy, and would be able to see who drove in the winning run in that game. June 16th, is that what we said? It was uh, actually June uh, 17th, 2000, Saturday afternoon. But look who the winning pitcher is, and then look who oh, drove the great, in the winning run. The great run. Steve Rain. Steve Rain won the game, but who drove in the winning run?
0: Oh, yeah, which there I it attended. is. Ismael Valdez drove in the only run of the game. Right.
1: In case you wanted any further illustration as to how much paper mache Ismael Valdez was made out of, that he drove in the run, the only run in a 1 to nothing game, but was unable to stick around long enough because of blisters. Yep. That was to his, even that's why the him. Dodgers
0: got rid of him. They're like, he's good, but he can never pitch because it yeah. always hurts. So,
1: since somebody pointed out that it was the first time that since they've been recording these oddball arcane. You know, uh, involved stats or factoids since they've been doing that. That a pitcher had driven in a run in a game, the only run in a one nothing game in which he didn't even win, a starting pitcher in which he didn't win. So, thank you. That was he was the big free agent signing on the mound that year, I guess. Being uh, in a second year and then having Wood. Sad that I can just name three fifths of the rotation without even looking that team up, but uh, three of those guys are actually on paper pretty good, but. Pitching, I think, was a probably a big reason why that team
0: uh, stunk ass for most of the season. Yeah, so the, the Cubs traded Chad Ricketts, no relation, <laughs> and Terry Adams. Chad Ricketts, he's in the bleachers hitting on his wife. What are you? To the Dodgers for Eric Young and Ismael Valdez. I'm sorry, did you say Terry Adams? Terry Adams. Oh. In 1999. Really? We
1: discussed them in some detail last week.
0: Okay. And then they were so excited about it that uh, seven months later, they traded Ismail back to the Dodgers for Jamie Arnold and Jorge Piedra. There you go. (laughs) But, yeah, it was all because of the blisters. The Dodgers were like, all right, somebody take this dude. And uh, because he had won uh, won 13 games in 95, 15 games in 96, 10 in 97, 11 in 98. um, Yeah. And he always he had a good ERA. He never, never had an ERA over four. He, he pitched the, the, playoffs the Dodgers for them. had in '97. He had a 2.65 ERA in 30 starts. And they're like, ah, yeah, give him yeah. An. and they just gave him to the Cubs, and then they got him right back.
1: Yeah, he only made 12 starts that year. The Cubs list six starters. I had forgotten that Kevin Tampan Somehow, I, I, and I feel bad because he seemed like you know overall pretty good guy. But Kevin Tampeney Tapp- was pretty much a horse that year. Libra had the most starts at 35, you know, and then Downs, Cavado Valdez kind of, you know, rounded out that rotation. And they still had the run fairies, you say, Heredia. Hey, they got three years out of it.
0: Yeah, Todd Noel, Kevin Ory. Yeah, they got trade. three years out of it. They forced three years upon us.
1: <laughs> it was too bad that Ed Lynch was not around. So, it was halfway through the season where Andy McPhail had to, uh, uh, tighten up his the tie that was nestled underneath his sweater vest, and uh, and roll up those sleeves of his, and uh, do the GM job for about a year and a half. Yeah. Although I think I think they pretty quickly, even if unofficially, had installed Jim Henry as the guy. It was, uh, yeah. Jim Henry was still the scouting director, and even says that on two thousand basis. They don't even list Ed Lynch.
0: They don't even give him the yeah. I remember that that happened in why do I ever think that it, it happened in Atlanta?
1: Well I, it happened on seven twenty nine or seven
0: nineteen apparently, yeah. July nineteenth. But I seem to remember and maybe I'm just pulling this out of my head. I seem to remember a Andy having to come on the Cub broadcast. You're,
1: not, you're totally right. You nailed okay. it.
0: And he brought Henry with him. And they basically announced that it was they were starting a transition that would end with Henry becoming the GM, but that Andy would do it in the interim. That's right. It was yeah. kind of
1: bizarre. I, I don't it's one know of those weird necessary. things.
0: Why do I remember that they were in the broadcast booth in Atlanta? What does it matter? Right. But I remember that.
1: No, it's you got everyone's got a little inner Grapstein there, and you're right because they they played on Sunday, June, June 18th at home, lost to the Expos, had a day off on Monday, and we flew to Atlanta that night. I'm sure that's when it happened, and so by the game time on Tuesday is when you would have heard, uh, you know, or when it must have been on Monday where they. Or whatever. But they were in Atlanta facing the great Kevin Millwood that next night.
0: And they had to snuggle up with Chip and Steve. No, Chip and Joe? Joe and Dave. Yeah. Again, it depends. If they were
1: on cable, it was Dave Otto. Oh, that's right. If they were on Channel 9, w- Well, it's cable for a lot of people either way. It was Joe Carter. This was the first of two seasons that... Uh, uh, the chip uh, worked with Joe Carter and Dave Otto before Stony came back from his mysterious. Yeah. We
0: know he did in one because remember and that, folks. If you didn't listen to the two thousand one, remember <laughs> this crap. You have to just for the uh, the clip of the crazy ending to the Rockies game
1: when you should yeah listen to that episode anyway. I think this might be the best one we did yeah. just because there were some great things that just yes. sort of
0: and we actually we accurately remember. predicted something because it it had to happen. It did. Yep. So yeah, quite a bit. Of, quite a this is quite a roster of hitters in, uh, in quotes. <laughs> the Cubs had. Uh, this but would have been Green the year. And me. This would have been the year, right, when the Cubs occasionally trotted out the the linebacker outfield of Henry Rodriguez, Sammy Sosa, and Glenn Allen Hill.
1: Yeah, and by 2000, I just want to say that Sosa was in the – he was in the midst of a 300-homer streak in five seasons, which is incredible, juice or no juice. But he was also in the middle of a transformation into becoming an absolutely one-dimensional ball player. And his defense was becoming well, he was, pretty much a full afterthought
0: by now. He was getting big somehow. I don't know. It, was, it just seemed to be getting bigger and bigger. Almost like he was on something. But I don't know. Right. <laughs> Uh,
1: I Just so I put it in the chat, uh, if you ever have time, uh, the May second 2000 Kerry Wood game is in its entirety oh, on YouTube. Oh, well, I should put that on. <laughs> we may have to schedule another episode, do a deep dive, depending on how many stupid things Chip Carey uttered, ruining the moment, I'm sure, I guess. I don't have, you know, I was there, so I wouldn't have remembered if Chip ruined it anyway, but, uh, yeah, something to, uh, you'd have to fiddle with it, because it's two hours and 17 minutes um but you know if you working alongside baseball reference and can see the home run and the strikeout of bagwell those are really the two highlights so
0: so now they, for the longest time like when we were not even when we were growing up we were grown up and this was still a thing everybody was going on and on about how the cubs had not had a good third baseman and whatever just madlock or they said santo but it's really madlock right. who came after santo um when really because of because of santo and madlock and then Aramis – and then some guy named Chris Bryant, who right. Doesn't even play there anymore. Um, it's a different narrative now, isn't it? The biggest hole in this in this franchise that goes back even farther is center field. Yep, because
1: I mean, at least Dexter, the sixty-nine percent. Dexter,
0: Dexter Fowler's two seasons yeah. like stand out like a sore thumb because it's actual. Like, beyond yep. mere competence. And really, it's, he only had... Well, I shouldn't say only. He had three good halves for the Cubs because he really struggled his first half. He had a big home run in Colorado in the first half of his yes. first season. Then and
1: then he slumped, but then he came right. out when it counted.
0: And then, and so he was good at the end of 2015, and he was good in all of 2016. But So the 2000 Cubs had um a couple of their great... Couple, three of their greatest hopes at center field stardom all on one team.
1: Two of them were from... The, uh, the, the Ed Lynch, Andy McPhail school of uh, signing guys whose fathers yep. you remember having played as Major League Ball players. So, i referring, yeah, so, of course, to so, Damon Sleeves Buford
0: and Gary Matthews Jr. Right. So Damon Buford, son of former Met Don Buford and Oriole. And then uh, Gary Matthews Jr., son of former Cub and Philly and Sarge, Giant. 84, 84 Cub, Sarge. Gary Matthews Sr. and Corey Patterson and Dave Martinez. Wow, veritable! I mean, they Who's were. too. I don't think I. I can't imagine they tried to make poor Dave go out and play center field. He's he thirty-five years old. He was nope. probably playing first base, but he was uh, a pinch hitter. Yep. Yeah.
1: And I will say Gary Matthews' teammate and trade partner, the guy that he came along with on the eve of the '84 season, to Bob Durnier, had a couple of decent seasons. But other than other than Dexter's two seasons, Dernier's two seasons, uh, seasons Jerome Walton's rookie of the year season. Um, you're absolutely right. Even the '69 Cubs at least had Santo. One of the th- yeah. big autopsies is that one of their problems is they didn't have a center fielder. Don I mean, Young was not the answer.
0: So they haven't had anybody good in center field for more than two seasons since. Uh, maybe Andy
1: Pafko, I think, if yeah. he played center, I might not even know if he did. I think he did,
0: but didn't uh, didn't Hack Wilson used to go out and play center, even though he was five <laughs> yeah. nine, two hundred and thirty pounds <laughs> and drunk. I'm sure he was a real defensive whiz.
1: Um, well, you're right. He's most famously known defensively for losing a ball in the sun in the 29 series, which led to the very eerily similar to the events of the eighth inning in game seven in 2003, but led to a huge Oakland comeback where they went on to take the series. So. Yeah,
0: so Hack, Hack is probably, he's their best center fielder ever. He played one, two, three, it, four. He played He played five full seasons that's, in center you know, cups. Y-
1: you know what that's analogous to, uh, Andy? It's analogous to Chicago Bears wide receiver yeah. uh, history. <laughs> that's our greatest center field, all around center fielder. That's our. He's closer in era to Johnny Morris than, or Johnny Morris is closer in era to uh, Hack Wilson than he is to today as a player. Well, so
0: Hack led the led the National League in home runs four of those five seasons. Uh huh. And led the led the National League at least. In RBI's 1929, and we know all of baseball in 1930 because he still has the record of 191, thanks to Jerome Holtzman. Jerome Holtzman, yep. Went and found Hack another RBI. Don't know how he did it, but he did. But yeah, that's nice. So the Cubs' last good center fielder of any amount of time. Yeah. He stopped playing center field for them in 1931. Wow. 90 years ago. Yeah. I'd like to I'm
1: a, I'm going to take a deep dive. I'm wondering I guess even if Andy Pasco was a center fielder, they gave they traded him away to LA to the Brooklyn pretty early in his career, so it's kind of rendered moot. And I don't know what else you had I don't really know my center fielders of the 50s other than the Cubs socked no, got to Frankie if, one, holds.
0: if we had somebody good, we would remember.
1: Yes. Think right, even if it's it. even if it's before our era, right. Um Well, yeah, Pasco
0: know, played did
1: he play center, Does baseball reference? Are they able to delineate? Yeah, he played,
0: uh, he played center through 1947, so 43 to 47. Um, he was an all-star in 47. Then they moved him to yeah. third base because they're like, hey, we, let's plug our other hole. Was it palm holes? Right, and then uh, in 49 and 50, he well, split standard. time between right, center, and third. Okay. And then right. uh, in 51, he played center and got traded to Brooklyn during the
1: season. Oh, he, he played with the Cubs a lot longer. So, but it didn't sound like he was really the natural center fielder. So he might have okay, had Okay, so a say clause. it's
0: Pafco. That means they haven't had No, it's, it's still 70 years. Yeah, it's been 70 years since they had a season. Like,
1: and all we're asking for the baseline, right? I think we can set it at three. Three above <laughs> average seasons in a row. And nobody's going to hit that. A Dernier and, and Dexter might come closest. Uh, in our lifetime, I think that's you know, safe to stay.
0: You know the Ian Hap. Is going uh,
1: <laughs> to. Uh, yeah. I like Ian. I don't want to go down that road. Uh, he's not that good of a center fielder, but if he plays every day for a few years, I guess he's going to be in the discussion because I know he he, he got he tot and cold, but he generally puts up numbers. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but I don't think of him as much of a center fielder either.
0: Well, I should just, just re sign Chris Bryant and let him play center field.
1: Bryant, yeah, he'd be more likely to win a gold glove in the outfield on that third base maybe. He, this guy's just, yeah. Yeah, put Bryant in center and third so he'll help full ball. You know, yeah, he he's already kind of. Once. You know, it's funny. You're right about that. I mean, think about it. now You just go back now 20 years. We've been sort of, uh, uh, you know, filthy. You know, Ramirez was the most productive hitter for almost a decade. Uh, yeah, and third, then,
0: third base has not been a problem now for a long time.
1: No, no, there really isn't.
0: For 18 years.
1: But you're right also, it was never as bad as center field, yet it always kind of grabbed the narrative. I wonder why, looks up at the radio booth.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine if why there was a emphasis on one position and how them not having a perennial all-star in that spot somehow meant that the guy they used to have there was a Hall of Famer by... Um, default i will say that he did probably deserve to be in the hall of fame he absolutely did it was yeah that was part of what made the um it's part of it's what made the argument endure it's also what made it annoying yeah because it's like yes he of course he should be in he was he was for the longest time the best player not in the hall of fame the best yep. eligible player who was not in the Hall of Fame for maybe longer than anybody else was Ron Santo, and then they waited yeah. till he was dead before they put him in. So
1: unless possibly Hack, unless possibly Hack Wilson was longer because he was a guy, also a guy that Mike Royko wrote a lot of articles about till he got veterans in in the late seventies. But yeah,
0: and that was, then of course uh, Harold Baines. Oh
1: God. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the most damaging thing that will ever happen to the Hall. You can now, always, now that the Harold Baines floor.
0: You got to give the White Sox credit though. They shifted the narrative of, they got tired of everybody saying that Nellie Fox was the worst player in the Hall of Fame. Yep. You won't get an argument out of my dad on that one. So they just shoved in another former White Sox instead to, yeah. to take up the new argument.
1: It's so embarrassing because, like, as for as much uh, you know, as we look like fools for rooting these idiots on, we get the benefit of just you and I having to like see the entire arc of Ryan Sandberg's career and Andre Dawson and Kerry Wood and Sammy Sosa and Mark Grace. Um, Only a couple of those are hall of famers um but it's just like embarrassing that like the like that harold baines is so deified like immediately he's a really good player but it's just so much like just false nostalgia that propels that i mean they retired his number when he was still playing after he got traded right for so so then he comes back he played forever yeah i just you know i, I laugh i don't yeah,
0: he, really in a way I mean, obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. He gets the all the shit that goes with it. His more, a, and all that stuff. He's not a deserved Hall of Famer. No, but it up? actually puts—that's—he instead of being remembered as a really good player, he's now remembered as a guy who's in the Hall of Fame who shouldn't be. Worst Hall of Famer. So Jerry didn't do him any fucking favors, really. Well, he's maybe. made him a punchline. It's like oh, fucking Harold Baines. It's, it is. You know, it's, oh, they erected the Harold Baines statue and. Uh, right, nineteen ninety six or whatever, and they were still hitting fly balls at it. it.
1: It would be like us doing all this shit for grace, which I know some fans might be in a hurry to do that. Like, hey, put a statue, you know? Which I no, no, but uh, it, it would be like that, and that's embarrassing. I no, mean, I mean, the, for,
0: the t- if, I'm, if I'm if I'm handing out statues for Cubs, the um, first thing I'm doing is I'm I'm redoing the Harry Carey one because I just find that. <laughs> So creepy.
1: You wrote about that this week, but I've observed that since they first threw that up. It looks like this soda. Sort of I remember like, the first
0: time I went and looked at it. I'm like, what is this? It's this boiling sea oh, of like screaming it's, voices. It's, it's people trying to drag <laughs> like, Harry to hell. That's what that's what the whole thing is. It's the fans <laughs> are trying to drag him to hell. Um because the other statues are so good. Like they crisp, really crisp. have like the the Billy that's the true. Ron Santo statue might be the best Really? Like that's just a really well done statue and the billy williams one is cool billy looks very 70s in that that's really cool they do a really nice job except the first one they did eh, it's just not a very good statue yeah
1: um yeah i I haven't ranked the statues but just off the top of my head the hairy one just from that whole like sea of tortured souls from which he's emanating um yeah a little little off
0: and then i can't wait to go down and uh help them move the uh bear statues up to arlington that's gonna be fun <laughs> bring it on man put those in Five a truck miles away. and badge and i'll drive them right up Cruising on are, we Euclid Avenue. Yep. are we going to the mall yeah we're going to the mall yeah. uh we're yes. actually going to stop a little short it's gonna, be, it's gonna be fine don't worry about it right right uh. <laughs> um okay so 2000 cubs do you remember Raul Gonzalez. Nope. No, me neither. Do you remember? Osvaldo Morena. Not the least. No, he pitched twice for them. Uh, Okay. Will Omen was that one of Will's stints. He only pitched in six games.
1: Um, and I want to I want to mention because you you sort of had introduced this point which I've really sort of embraced how the peak Atlanta Braves uh, system uh, managed to produce all this great pitching while at the same time passing off all their shit as overvalued uh, uh, excess of that system when in fact they were just shit and the Cubs were probably the first in line almost every time they were selling and Will Omen is one of the personifications of that practice absolute bomb.
0: Oh there's a uh, Joey Nation, that's another one. Joey Nation, he was on what? the, was on the 2000 Cubs.
1: Look at Mike Bowie. Um which was later I think one name that maybe not no I think Bowie they were on the Jose Hernandez trade from 99 and and Quevedo, I think right I think (laughs) if I know this fucking trade then that's sick but I think the Braves gave us Covado who was terrible they gave us Nation they gave us Bowie and whoever that fourth one was but another one a few years later for Juan Cruz we got Andy Pratt who I think never threw a string
0: oh yeah he was fun yeah, so uh, August 24th, 1999, the Braves sent Joey Nation to the Cubs to complete a trade a, de- a trade deadline trade. That yep. trade was the player named later, which became Nation, Micah Bowie yep. and Ruben uh, Covedo for Jose Hernandez and Terry Mulholland.
1: But not Will Omen, or Will Omen was the third guy in
0: that trade? No, Will was not in that deal. They,
1: Separate trade, but he came from the Braves too. Yeah, so it wasn't one trade. It was like every time the Braves were calling uh, – Lynch and McPhail were ready to what do you guys scoop
0: got? up those sloppy seconds. What do you got for us from your great... <laughs> well, I got... You guys got a, a thing called a pitch lab? No. <laughs> we don't. Um, quite a dichotomy. All right, no. So, Will Ullman, uh a homegrown Cub, drafted in the eighth round of the 98 uh, draft. Oh,
1: my apologies. He had
0: quite a career. Released in 2003... Wait, was what, 98? What you said? Yeah. Released in October of 2003 by the Cubs. Re signed in February of '04. Cubs, are like, oh, no, that was a terrible mistake. We got to get Will back. Uh, traded with, uh, do you remember the great Omar Infante? The Cubs got him from the Tiders, Tigers and those he, those ne- and he never, never played for them.
1: But that's like an Epstein era guy, right? right. Kind of, sort of. Yeah. So the
0: Cubs traded Omar and Will to the Braves in 2007 for okay. Jose Ascanio, the ASCAN. I
1: remember the Ascan. I think Apex, our good friend Andrew Peck, uh, coined that one. We had high hopes for the ass can. Should have yeah. known by then the trend. That Braves pitchers, whether they be starters or relievers, yeah. so were.
0: actually the Cubs tra- they they turned the tables on the Braves. They gave them Will Omen. Like here you go, enjoy ah. this shit. <laughs> right. He lived only to make uh, Lou Pinella's head explode after.
1: He- and, o- and Oscar we uh, You
0: got a guy out there throwing fifty-five foot curveballs.
1: That's right. So that was Will Omen two point oh, right? Or was Will Omen con- consecutively or successively with the Cubs from two thousand to 07? He came back. They shipped him to Atlanta and back. Or did he? Did that cockroach manage to stay in their system for parts of eight seasons? I can't. Uh, he was a glib MF-er. I will say that. Like he knew, he was a moth to lights. He was a guy that without having done anything,
0: he um you would see uh you'd see his quotes. Well, he missed uh, he his two stints. He never left. But he incredible. he got hurt and missed all of 02 and 03. And then all of a sudden he was back in 05. Okay. Pitched in 06 and 07. That's when Lou tried to kill him. Yep. Um, and then he went to the Braves, the Dodgers, the Orioles, the Marlins, and two, he finished up with two great seasons for the White Sox. Another one? Did he suck? Please tell me he at least sucked. Oh yeah, six forty one ERA in his last year with the Sox.
1: Was that the same guy we already mentioned earlier? Then that finished with the Sox, or was that somebody else? Can't remember now. I think it was Olmert. So
0: no, 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 that was um, uh, that wasn't him. That was somebody else. That was uh, okay, Scott Downs. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'll always have a place in my
1: heart. Even if they didn't do well with the Cubs, if they sucked for the Sox, they'll have a place in my heart. Or the Cardinals, for that matter.
0: But, yeah, so the yeah the 2000 Cubs, one of the worst teams in Cubs history. 65-97. Anyway, and then inexplicably, in 01, they almost made the playoffs. Right. And then in 02, terrible again. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we were sort of in that cycle perpetually now, and, and it's been sort of cast for 10 years, right? I talk about when Tribune really sort of, after that Jim Fry debacle, no more spending, we're going to cut to the middle. This is now two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's like their ninth season. They were terrible. I mean, they didn't try to be good. They were good in spite of themselves. They made the wild card two years earlier. They made a run for it in a one. Things still Altered a little bit in oh three and '04, four the trajectory changed, but they were pretty much in the thick of you know this this you know designed mediocrity. It was really not really i mean yeah, they brought in Ismail Valdez, yeah that was your big free agent yeah. signing Eric Young he was a good leadoff hitter. I mentioned this before Eric Young had a really good season for this team without even looking it up. I can tell you he did. And when that Cubs team, to which you alluded, the next season was surprisingly in contention, uh, that was in spite of Young, who yeah. he, he happened well, to have a poor season the next year.
0: Yeah. So the so bringing back Joe Girardi and getting Eric Young were both uh, at the behest, and Ricky Gutierrez and, Rick, and were at the behest of Don Baylor, who had ah. managed um, Eric and Joe with the Rockies, and he wanted that's that, right. And they went out. That's and got right.
1: Them. Okay.
0: And I honestly did not remember that Joe spent three years with the Cubs in the second stint.
1: Well, I know he was on the 02 Cubs, but yes. we'll talk about why when we talk about the 02 Cubs.
0: That's why when I saw it, I'm like, he was there in 2000? Because I really thought he was only there in O one and 02.
1: Daryl Kyle pitched the opening day. That's oh. <laughs> well, still going to be 2000. It was the middle of summer, and that
0: had uh, But yeah, this yeah, was so a. I guess... The 2000 Cubs, that was. <sighs> that's the midst of a pretty rough stretch really is um, and I, even really other I than hit. other than some mild competence in 95 yep and then 98 uh, and then the 98 just the fluke which we knew was a fluke at the time i mean i think so that's it about it i mean because there's yeah. well, nothing at 2000 i'm sure we were rooting for a strike because 94 49 and 64 with the strike Ninety six, seventy six, right. and eighty six, ninety seven, sixty eight, ninety four, ninety nine, yep. sixty seven, and ninety five, and two thousand sixty seven and ninety seven. I mean, this
1: was worse. So this was worse than ninety nine and ninety seven. They lost the first fourteen games and only lost ninety
0: four that season. So we were hang, we were hanging a lot on one fluke year in ninety eight. Yeah.
1: Yeah, in ways in which I hadn't even really considered it really was a a ridiculous patch because we'd had a taste of it. So it's one thing to have four decades of, of nothing going into 84, but then 84 is followed up five years later by 89. So, you know, you can get a little spoiled even though it's barely a taste. And then you go nine years, you kind of get back there again. And so by the time this team rolls around, it's, it's kind of like all those good memories and positivity were kind of getting uh, extinguished. You know, we know it didn't stay that way, but they were definitely mired in this sort of consistent, just bad. Not none of those teams lost hundred games, but holy shit, many of them lost more than ninety. Yeah. You know, if you if you lose ninety games, you're really not you're not in it we're used to that pretty much a, the whole decade and by decade i mean the 9 2000 to cap off the 90s
0: cuz you know
1: things did change a little bit i, I guess after the season
0: yeah cuz really what you you know you look at this baseball reference thing that shows year by year and they have they have top player listed by whoever had the highest war and so this terrible stretch of cub uh cubdom, it's they were basically we had Sammy and nothing else. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. we had Kerry Wood occasionally. Yeah, and we had, but the only guy that was always you know there for this whole run because Grace yeah would be Grace gone was on and, the decline and then, and then gone. Yeah, it's Sosa. Chamber. I mean, it goes yeah from '94 to 2002. Yep. Every year, Sosa the the has the highest WAR on the team except for '97 when it's Grace. Wow. So, it's, Wouldn't it get, so Sammy had a tough year in 97. Okay. So, yeah, it's Sosa, 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 Grace, Sosa, 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 Sosa. And so, yeah, you know, I don't know what year we get into this. I don't think it has to happen now, especially not at the end of this podcast. But the, the, the weird shunning of Sammy by the Rickets, who act like he did something personally to them when he wasn't around when they owned this team. Um, and it's they've made it into a bigger, a much bigger deal than it needs to be. If all they had done was put Sammy in the rotation, where they invite him back to the convention once every three or four years, and then Uh once every few years they have him come throw out a first pitch, nobody ever makes a big deal out of it. Nobody cares. But instead, they just and then they wouldn't even say why they wouldn't bring him back.
1: And and the funny thing is that they would never really even be the victims of any sort of like uh, an unpredictable outburst by him. Like if he were to go off, it might have been on the previous. He had no issue with them. He wasn't going to like
0: embarrass them.
1: So I don't know what the risk was. You know, I don't know what they were protecting.
0: They've always acted like, for whatever reason, that there's no in between. Either they give him a phony baloney ambassador job and put up a statue or they don't acknowledge his existence. There's plenty of room in between those two things. McGuire managed to navigate it,
1: and he and he did not have the cue factor that Sammy does. I mean, Sammy's was very much pretentious and manufactured, but he was certainly to young kids. The guy was extremely likable.
0: Well, and Sammy had a much he had a much longer run with the Cubs than McGuire had. That's right, with the Cardinals. Well, he's like, you know, I mean, they just made it. You know, they just made it weird, and we know over time that's what they do. They they create crises for themselves because they.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. In spite of falling ass backwards into Theo Epstein and winning World Series, there are some parallels between how it's run and how they're run uh, in a lot of these years that we're covering in the '90s. You know, you got a little bit of a cash cow in the ballpark. You've got you know some defined revenue every year, uh, keeping some of your marquee stars, which I'm not even sure they're doing now. But we'll see how it plays out uh and maybe that's a little unfair the team now is better what we're seeing now obviously is light years away i mean i'm not drawing a comparison i don't want to be an ingrate we're experiencing we're still for all the disappointment and you know changed expectations we're uh, in a period now in the last six seven years that we hope to be in at some point and is clearly different which is why we don't even go into it because it's still evolving but uh just from a management perspective it's you know it's fair to draw the comparison between how they operate sometimes and how they did in the 90s
0: yeah I mean I'm not I'm not the first I won't be the last person to point out how like just completely unlikely unbelievable it would have been to have said "All right, somebody's gonna come in and buy this team and they're gonna win a World Series and they're gonna erase all that crap and within three years afterwards everybody's gonna hate them nobody would have believed that they bought themselves a decade's worth of goodwill and they pissed it away in three years yeah so, but that's, the yeah, well, they,
1: they got that world series, which from the vantage point of 2000 or the 2000 Cubs, obviously we would have uh, killed for. Yeah. So. I mean, there
0: were, there were years, many years where it just, you were resigned to the fact that it was, they were never going to be able to figure it out ever. <laughs> that it was like, they it, were playing a different sport well, than it, every it, other it, team. Right,
1: like rearranging the deck deck chairs in the Titanic, like getting rid of Lynch, like such a non move. Even above McPhail, like Tribune getting rid of Himes and bringing in McPhail, you know the, the the modus operandi was remained the same. It was not you know not to be anything daring or innovative. Uh, but those guys would get fired if you if you had too many bad seasons. You're going to be gone. Larry Himes in '94, Ed Lynch in 2000. You know they kept they kept up appearances, but they were not interested in really. Winning, they wanted that ballpark full and and have guys like Sammy right to to market around. That was, that's kind of you know the McDonough angle, but yeah, we were in
0: it probably not even aware of it. The depths that we were in at the time, a lot more obvious now. <laughs> well, I mean, there was there was a definite. I know I felt this way, where you, there were times you were like, "Just, I have much better things I could do with my time than this. Why am I watching this? But there was always that fear, because they would come out of nowhere with these inexplicably good seasons, Yep, that you were going to give up just at the time they were going to backass their way into a World Series. And you were going to be like, oh, I should have been yeah. watching this the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't have that luxury anymore. If they go on another, if they go on a prolonged run of not being good, there's a whole generation of Cub fans who are like, "No, I saw him win a World Series. I got other shit to do." Sorry, that's
1: right, that's right. The, the whole perspective will become more pronounced. The difference in perspective will become more pronounced as time goes on. You know, you think of the franchises now that you know uh, are in that boat. It's not us. We're one of the more recent ones, <laughs> right? You'd be a Mariners fan, or uh, you know, Indians, obviously. Um, that's their problem.
0: Yep, we don't have to worry about that. We carried that mantle longer than anybody else ever.
1: No, and I think anyone that's listened to this through its entirety, the the, the anguish and the just the absolute horrific mediocrity of the two thousand Cubs and how emblematic it was of so many teams, uh, especially before it. You know, a little bit after things did change, uh, but for the most part, it was kind of the the, the end of a pretty impressive run of just uh, crap, I guess. Two thousand Cubs. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Andy.
0: Many of us have herpes.